0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast, our first victorious podcast of the 2021 season. I am Stephen Igo, the host of Hoist the Colors. And the publisher of HoistTheColors.net. My pleasure to join you guys to recap a pirate victory, the first pirate victory of the 2021 season, and what a win it was! Just got back from Huntington about two hours ago. Long trip. Uh, shout out to Ronnie Woodward from the Daily Reflector. Tagged along with him. We rode together. He did the driving. I rode shotgun. Got some work done on the way back. We we obviously had a lot to discuss, and it was a Quite a turn of events in that fourth quarter on Saturday night as East Carolina snatched victory from the jaws of defeat, trailing 38-21 with less than 8 minutes to go, and they scored 21 unanswered to record a dramatic 42-38 victory in Huntington, a place that's always given ECU issues even when they've had really good teams. Uh, but this Pirate Football team finds a way to get it done, and there there's no telling what a win like this can do, not only for the immediate future, but the long-term future. I mean, we talk about momentum-changing wins, and, you know, Ronnie and I, we interviewed Coach Houston after the game, and Ronnie asked a good question to Coach Houston, you know, was the was the season on the brink? You know, was this a season-saving victory, season-saving comeback, and I, I think in many ways it was and and yeah Mike Houston's not going to say hey if we end up losing that game you know we're not going to have a successful season but the the odds were not in their favor in terms of the schedule going forward I think everybody knew going into this three-game stretch to start the year the Pirates had to find a way to get at least one win on the board to have a realistic shot at a bowl game and reaching six wins and you know, they, they blew an opportunity against South Carolina in a very winnable game, in a game they probably outplayed the Gamecocks. But then today, or on Saturday, they really found a way to steal one and kind of make up for last week. So the Pirates now just 1-2 on the season. But, man, 1-2 and two feels a whole lot better than 0-3, especially when you're going into a very winnable game against FCS for Charleston Southern. And if the Pirates can take care of business and finish 2-2 two and two in non-conference play, it sets up a very important game against Tulane uh, to, with the opportunity to get a first three-game winning streak since the 2014 season. I was looking up that earlier today. But, of course, we'll see if they can take care of business against the Buccaneers. But more on that later this week. For now, we are going to recap this game. We've got a ton of questions to get to on the hoisted colors message board but also going to give my first initial thoughts on the game here as we start off this podcast there was so much that happened in this football game that it's really hard to recap all in one so i'm i, I made some bullet points here to go just through some key plays in the game and i'm sure i'll leave some out because there, there's a lot that happened in this 42 to 38 victory by east carolina um Great. It was good to see first off ECU defer the opening kickoff, I thought. And, you know, they actually played pretty good defense on the opening series outside of letting the scramble drill get behind the secondary for a big play, but forced a field goal. Then on the first drive, uh, just some excellent uh, designs, some man beaters for uh, East Carolina's offense to get Tyler Snead open. Um, again a Tyler Sneed touchdown gets called back I mean how many times does that happen this year a big play by Tyler Sneed gets called back as he steps out of bounds but well, then Holton Aylers goes right back to him on a beautiful ball uh, over the safety to get the first touchdown of the the ball game for ECU later early in the second quarter uh, Keaton Mitchell takes off on a uh, beautiful 88 yard touchdown run and you know a lot of people ask why does ECU run Keaton Mitchell and Rajay Harris up the middle so much? Well, you're not going to go 80 yards on every run attempt, but for every time you get stuffed, there's also the possibility you gap one. Somebody on the defense fills the wrong gap or takes the wrong angle or you get excellent blocking, and all it takes is one error by the defense for you to spring that bad, bad boy, especially with Mitchell in the game. Um, you know, Raja has not had as much running room this year, but I think he's ran very tough. I think a big game is coming for him. He's caught the ball really well and contributed in that facet. Uh obviously Mitchell brings the electric speed to the table and he's hit some home runs, you know, with the sixty-three yard catch in the opener and now the eighty eight yard touchdown run. He finishes with fourteen carries for 135 yards. And at that point East U had a ton of momentum. Marshall, of course, finishes the first half with all the momentum though, until late in the period, of course. Uh they were up twenty four to twenty one. And I thought one of the more interesting calls in the game, and at the time it seemed like a huge moment, and it turned out that actually was a big moment. ECU faced a 4th and 2 down 10 with just 18 seconds left from the Marshall 9-yard line. I think everybody on social media was saying, take the points, kick it, make sure you go into the half with some momentum. But I really felt like Mike Houston... Just based off what I, you know, some conversations I had over the past week, I felt like he knew his team needed a touchdown with the way the game was going and not just a field goal. Turns out he was right. He goes for it on fourth and two from the nine. It was a gamble, it took some balls, it paid off. CJ Johnson makes a sliding catch. A few plays later, Shane Calhoun makes a touchdown catch in the end zone. So ECU goes into the locker room down just three. 24-21 24-21 instead of 24-17, and they get the ball to start the second half. Now, second half did not go uh, the middle eight, uh, the second part of the middle eight, which is the fast, the, the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half, had an opportunity to really go ECU's way. They have a nice drive to start the second half. Again, elect to go for it on fourth down. This time, they run up the middle with Rajay Marshall plugs it up good, and the Pirates turn the ball over on downs. And Marshall then answers with a long scoring run on Rasheen Ali to make it 31-21. ECU unable to do anything offensively the next series. Marshall scores again a few plays later. Uh, in between, or a few series later, in between that, Tegan Wilk had a key force fumble to prevent another touchdown from scoring. So it could have been worse. The deficit could have been even more. But e- either way, Marshall ends up going 38-21. And there was a period... I'm trying to think back to it now. Yeah, early fourth quarter, where the Pirates had the ball deep in their own territory, really needing an offensive series to go right, needing some points, needing some momentum. And the offensive line just got ran over. And, you know, this was not even Marshall really blitzing. This was just a four-man rush. And they just, they beat ECU. They beat them soundly. You know, I tweeted out they were getting eaten alive. And on that series, they were. You know, watch the tape. It was Marshall just whipped ECU up front that series. You're down 38-21. Aylers was sacked, I think, on back-to-back plays or two times in three plays. And, you know, at that point, there was very little emotion on ECU's side, on the sidelines. The game, for all intents and purposes, appeared over. You know, you're talking early early fourth quarter, down 17. Offense has kind of stalled out. Marshall's got all the momentum. 38-21. You know, I think at that point, the entire Pirate Nation was ready to fire everybody, replace Holton Nailers as quarterback. And, man, how it changed from that point forward. And um, kudos to the guys. You know, we've had a lot of complaints, a lot of complaints about, hey, ECU is down three-plus scores in the fourth quarter. Why are they leaving the starters in? Why are they doing this and not getting the backups uh, some time? And, you know, I, I've I've even said I would like to see Mason Garcia get in if the game gets out of hand. And it was close to getting out of hand. It wasn't quite out of hand in that fourth quarter. Obviously, ECU came back so and completed it. You know, if Marshall would have scored another touchdown, then maybe it gets out of hand, truly. But they elected go for it on fourth down. They actually marched down the field, continuing to run their hurry-up offense. They did not let off the gas at all, which I thought was interesting. Uh, and and they, they go down the field, go for it on fourth down, try the big passing play instead of taking the points or trying the points. Falls incomplete, and ECU... At that point, you know, you could see a little momentum start to build on the sideline. Of course, they were still well down at that point. But a um, little hope. You know, Marshall gave ECU some hope. They cracked the, the door open, and the Pirates took advantage. They start to go with some tempo offensively. Holt Nailers gets into a rhythm, completes some nice balls, uh, gets some major catches from Rajay Harris, Shane Calhoun, Matosho. Matosho. Uh, Aylers ends up scoring on a touchdown run to make it thirty-eight twenty-eight. So at this point, we're in the press box, uh, and we're you know we're about to head down to the field. We head down to the field around the five-minute mark of the fourth quarter, most away games, because we, as reporters, have to get in position um, to do post-game interviews, which are usually on the field and can happen quickly. And if you're not down there and you miss the elevator or whatever, you get caught up in the crowd, you can miss it. So thirty-eight uh, twenty-eight, you know, time ticking away. Marshall, again, is on the move, and I, uh, I had basically an, an article ready to go about ECU falling to 0-3, losing the game, and of course did not publish it, just had to say, because for clair- for clarity, if, you're, if you follow me on Twitter, you probably see my tweets that I put out on uh, after the game, and as a sports writer, you're taught, especially this day and age, where timing is everything, people want immediate news. Basically, you go ahead and write the game story as it's unfolding in terms of how it's looking. And at this point, with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter, it's looking like ECU going to lose. So, you know, you have most of the article typed up, the headline, all that stuff ready to go. You know, I had that saved as I head down to the field and, you know, anticipating a potential pirate loss. Of course, I did not publish it because the game was not over. But you're always ready for any scenario. Just like in baseball, if it's a... lead going to the ninth inning you have an article ready to go in case it turns into a 5-2 final. Of course you scrap the story if somebody hits a game time home run or or there's a comeback that's just part of being a sports writer. So anyway head down to the field five minute mark ECU struggling defensively Ali pops off a, a couple of more big runs Marshall down near the 20 inside the 20 and this time they elect to take the points, but Sanders misses a chip shot field goal. Again, anytime you have a big comeback, one of the teams has to make some errors to allow the other team to come back. Pirates take advantage. They hit some more monster plays offensively, get helped out uh, by some uh, some poor play on Marshall's side. But again, Omatosho with a big catch, Calhoun with a big catch, Holton with a run. Holton was uh just on the money on his final few series. Pirates get down there. You know, we're on the field right in front of where Audio Matosho makes uh the the uh, touchdown catch and they rule that he pushed off, which was ticky tack to say the least. I mean you can call that on just about any back shoulder throw. I thought it was a perfectly placed ball, a nice catch by Omatosho. Gets called back. Pirates face a second and goal or uh, second and 10, or first and 10, somewhere, whatever, they were from the 27-yard line. They needed uh, a big play. And I saw the Pirates run a uh, trick play with Tyler Snead in walkthroughs on Wednesday, where he got the, the pitch as he went in motion and then threw it back to Holton and And as I saw them run that in walkthroughs on Wednesday, I'm like, oh, that's, that's pretty cute. Like, that's, you know, they just ran the jet sweep with Snead and he threw it to Hatfield. Of course, they're not going to run you know it's cute in theory that they would throw the the quarterback leaking out the back to kind of throw off the defense, but they're not going to actually run this in a game. Sure enough, they do uh, from on first down from the 27, and it connects with Holden. A great throw by Snead, kind of getting it over the defensive end. Holden makes a nice run after the catch, finds the pylon uh, with the great runner as he is, and at the review, it's ruled a touchdown. 38-35. I think Pirate fans at this point are thinking, man, what a comeback. You know, we're probably going to fall short. We can't stop Marshall, so if they get the onside kick or we kick it deep, we're in trouble. Uh, And then a perfectly executed onside kick, Owen Daffer. It sounds like from talking with Mike Houston postgame, this was a situation where basically as Owen is lining up and as he's running, he kind of reads how Marshall is going to play it. And from that point, they were giving ECU the middle of the field on the onside. And so Daffer dribbled it up the middle. Marshall, for whatever reason, their men do not go and attack the football. They try to let it go 10 yards. And then Daffer falls on it. The blockers take out the, the, the Marshall guys who didn't attack the ball. And uh, perfectly executed by ECU. Poorly executed by Marshall. Pirates take advantage. And then, of course, Pirates march right down the field. They get a nice run from Keaton Mitchell. Huge throw from Holt Nailers to Calhoun. Huge throw from Holt Naylors to Omatosho. Uh, you're thinking at this point, milk some clock. Don't score too quickly. But then Marshall's calling timeouts. You also don't want to risk not, not scoring. So I like that ECU, after the, the first attempted pass, which was a little scary, uh, was a pass interference call against Marshall. Then they ran the football multiple times. At that point, you just run it until A, you either score, or B, you keep using them. Uh, getting them to use clock and using timeouts. So eventually Rajay Harris scores 55 seconds remaining based on how Marshall was moving the football. We all knew the game was not over 42 38 ECU lead. They hit a huge pass to Xavier Gaines, the versatile tight end puts ECU's defense on his heels. But I like that the Pirates once they got down in the, uh, in the, in the red zone ECU kept attacking, kept playing his defense you can't just let Wells sit back there and survey the field or it wasn't going to end well. So they kept sending pressure. Eventually, a little bit of pressure from Xavier Smith on the first and 10 play with 15 seconds to go results in the game-sealing Jaquan McMillan interception. And, man, what a moment it was. Uh, We were standing in the end zone where McMillan had the pick and the guys, you could just see the jubilation on the East Carolina sideline and kind of the weight lifted off some of the players and coaches shoulders in terms of just getting a win. I mean, yeah, this is just one win. It doesn't necessarily define the season. It could be a turning point for the season, but one win does not define the season. You've got to stack wins. You got to get some more, uh, big moments like this, but this is the first of potentially many, and you had to have a first. And this was a great first and a great confidence booster, something to really build off of. Um, you know, as far as the, 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 if any negatives, I mean, yeah, there there are negatives in this game. Look, Marshall had 650 yards of offense. They've got a great quarterback, but ECU gave up 433 yards passing, 215 yards rushing. Ali, who I think is, man, he's the real deal. Watching him cut and make people miss on that turf, he's going to be a special running back. Um, Charles Huff, the Marshall head coach, said after the game, he thinks he's an NFL player. Uh, but Pirates got to be better tackling. I, I just, for whatever reason, when ECU plays on turf defensively, they look slow and they just look bad trying to cut and tackle, especially in the second level. I don't know if, you know, I really would like to see ECU practice on their turf practice field more when they're about to go play road turf games. You know, of course, Dowdy Ficklin Stadium is natural grass. ECU practices on natural ge- grass a lot. It just seems like they're out of sorts on turf. We've talked about this before. Uh, especially defensively. So I don't know if that's a real thing or not, but that's just how it seems to me. Either way, 650 yards of offense. We knew this would be a much different challenge than South Carolina. Turned out to be a much different challenge, and ECU's got a lot to work on still defensively, especially when it comes to fitting runs. You know, Grant Wells made some special throws at times that you just can't defend, and so you live with that. But ECU's got to be better against the run and also just in terms of uh, not maybe not busting as many coverages you know there weren't a lot of bust but there were a number in terms of giving up some easy yardage where guys could have played a little better coverage offensively again we had a couple questions on this why does ECU wait so long to go up tempo and really kind of press the gas pedal on offense and I think anybody who watched the last eight minutes of the game, it's a valid question. Like at what point does ECU just kind of go out there from the first series and hit that tempo and just see how it goes. I mean, I know that East Carolina wants to play a ball control style at times and run the football and all that stuff, but it, it's clear Holt Naylor's is most effective and most comfortable when he is operating in a hurry up tempo, the defense is on his heels and he can just go and maybe not think as much. So, you know, I'm not saying ECU has to do that all the time, but at some point, why not just go out there the first quarter and say, hey, the first series of the game, we're going to go up tempo and just see how it goes. And hey, if you go three and out or you throw a pick on the second play of the game, then maybe you reevaluate it. But I feel like Holt Naylor's at this point, we've seen enough of his career to know he's extremely comfortable in that setting. And I would like to see more of that going forward. That's just my opinion. And, um, I feel pretty strongly about it especially after seeing that field level just how comfortable he was and how comfortable the guys were making plays in that environment because I felt like Marshall was on his heels and when you get up tempo guys get tired you can't adjust you can't blitz as much um defensively so I, I just think it makes a world of difference. All right so those are my just general takes on the the football game um you know as far as being there in Huntington first off kudos to the Marshall fans again every time i go to Huntington great experience love talking to the herd fans it really is an awesome rivalry there have been so many great games and this was another in that uh, chapter or another chapter in that rivalry so it was awesome to be there it was great to be on the field for the final 5 minutes to kind of see it all unfold see the fi- see the players celebrate with the the fans, the fans who made the trip, you know, the parents share some special, some special moments with the guys. Um, so j- just awesome there. And uh, you know, as far I, I touched on it earlier, just my tweet about the, um, you know, I had, I had the article up, and just to clarify, you know, I was not trying to make a dig or anything at ECU. Like I never would have published that ECU was going zero and three before the game actually ended. I was just making a funny. Funny tweet in terms of, hey, this is how it looked. Midway through the fourth quarter, you had this article written as a sports writer. And so, I'd, obviously, you'd delete it after a comeback like that. So, I, you know, I do that with every game I cover. You're right as the game goes along. You know, some people took it the wrong way for whatever reason. Even some players thought, I guess, that we legitimately thought the game was over. Uh, that obviously was not the case. We're not stupid. So, I mean, I just want to clarify that it's just a... More of a funny tweet in the moment, and people, for whatever reason, just jump to conclusions, and can't see that it says "not yet published" in the corner of the picture, because obviously we would not publish a 0-3 record when the game is still hanging in the balance. But that's just something all sports writers do. We were having some fun with it, so nobody take it personally. But hey, if the players want to use it as motivation, go for it. Doesn't uh, doesn't bother me at all. So I just wanted to clarify that since there was some confusion on twitter you know social media these days is a, a great and terrible place at the same time all in one all right we will be right back we're going to take a quick break and then we'll dive into your questions on the hoisty the colors message board
0: Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Podcast. all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com slash Podcast.
1: All right, we are back here on the Hoisted Colors podcast, and we are diving into your questions on the HTC message board. Our first is from Chris0591. He asked, "When will Mason Garcia be starting?" I'm I'm gonna guess, Chris, that this is a a nice jab at the fans who were calling for Mason Garcia last week. And I listen. I asked Mike Houston last week because we were getting so much feedback. When's Mason gonna play? I went on, you know, I gave my thoughts on it last week. I, you know, I still think he needs a full offseason as the projected starter to really get up to speed and the offense kind of be the guy. I do agree Holton right now has the best gives ECU the best chance to win I think we saw that on Saturday specifically when he's able to play to his strengths and when he gets help around him, we see what uh, type of player Holton Aylers can be obviously if Holton continues to play like that Mason Garcia will not be starting for the remainder of the year beyond that I don't know we'll see what Holton Ayers does in terms of his eligibility he's got one year left after this season uh, but this was a big win for Holton, you know, I'm, I'm happy for him. You know, obviously, Greenville kid, he puts a lot of pressure on himself to succeed and, and take ECU to the next level. Um, and, and he says that he didn't listen to social media and he blocked it out, but I, I, I promise you guys, some of that stuff got back to him. He's aware of it, so I don't know if he uses it for motivation or not, but I'm sure it felt good. Uh, on Saturday when the clock hit zero and he had led that comeback. So good for Holt Naylors. Really hope he can continue to build off that. Because, you know, certainly there there was valid criticism after the last game. I mean, it's not like people who were not happy with the quarterback play were wrong. It was not good. And so and Holt Naylors admitted that. So I I think him bouncing back kind of shows how much resolve he has and and whether he uses the critics as fuel or not, I don't know. But um, happy he had the game he did for for ECU and and for Holton personally. All right, Buck Wild, seventeen. He asked total injury update, please, good sir. Um, so again, Aaron Ramsey did not play defensively. We asked Blake Harrell last week, and he was, sounds like he's dealing with a groin issue. He was on the trip, but did not play on defense. Uh, Jacoby Simpson made his ECU defensive debut the Juco transfer former TCU linebacker he had missed some time this preseason with an injury it was good to see him play a couple snaps Gerard Stringer was on the trip I don't think he got in on defense not sure if he played special teams he's coming back from a um an injury as well so it was good to see Gerard in uniform for the first time this year and I think he'll be worked in in the coming weeks more on defense Uh, Elijah Morris man kudos to that guy for grinding it out you know I was I I was out at practice on Wednesday and he looked pretty good moving around it it was clear he was going to play he's dealing with the ankle sprain but then in warm-ups on Saturday he didn't look 100% comfortable trying to plant move but kudos to him for giving it a go and I think he may have laid on the ground two or three times during the game just because probably the pain of the ankle sprain getting to him, but he played a good number of snaps, not close to a hundred percent, and really turned in a pretty solid performance, all things considered. So, um, you know that guy's a warrior. You got to respect when a guy is laying it on the line like that. Uh, of course, guys who play football are tough, uh, but to play through an ankle sprain, I mean, as a three hundred pound lineman, when you got three hundred pound lineman leaning on you, is not an easy thing to do. Hopefully. With Charleston Southern this week, they can get Elijah some time to really, you know, back off the reps a little bit, maybe not even play at all, play very limited, and really give that ankle some time to heal going into the Tulane game, especially with some of the young defensive tackles that are stepping up. Um, Offensive line-wise, there are a couple of guys who are playing through some soreness as well. You know, those guys are always banged up. But Avery Jones went down in the last play of the game against South Carolina. Uh, I think with a lower leg injury he played a lot on Saturday but then Trent Holler played on the final series and ended up playing I think 15 snaps at center so it was good to see Trent get in there and perform well you know Avery I don't think he's quite 100% right now but he was battling Noah Henderson he's dealing with some soreness as well uh, him and Rob Vanderlyn split time at tackle and so at, at right tackle specifically So those two guys will likely continue to split time as Noah works his way back. So those two guys battling through some injuries. You know, C.J. Johnson got hit hard on the sideline. I have no clue how that was not reviewed for targeting. We got uh, to tie this into our next question. Why wasn't targeting called on the hit on C.J. Johnson? Um, I have no idea why that was not called. Nor, do you know, the bigger issue I have is why was it not reviewed? They can review targeting even if it's not called on the field. And they had a freaking time out to look at it and watch it on the big screen. It seemed clear that at least it was worthy of a review for targeting. The guy seemed to launch his helmet or shoulder pad right into CJ's face or the side of his helmet. What are we doing? I mean, if you're going to have the rule, that seems like an ideal time to look at that specific situation. So I did not understand that at all. Um... I meant to ask Mike Houston about that after the game, but got caught up in all the the craziness of the win and the emotion. So I'll try to ask Coach about that later this week in terms of why that wasn't reviewed when they saw it on film. Did they think it was targeting? Um, But, yeah, CJ came back in. He ended up playing, I think, more than 80 snaps. He played a ton offensively. And so um, those are all the injuries I can think of off the top of my head. Trying to run through the the list i mean guys were were bruised and battered after a game like that you know we talked to holton after the game and he was in his uh undershirt and pants and you could just see the bruises on his arm so i mean these guys they take a beating and i know it happened you know it's football players at every school take a beating but uh you do have to commend them for for putting their bodies on the line and uh you know holton took a took a few shots on saturday Roger or Keith Mitchell limped off the field at one time but I think he came back in after that and so you got some guys with some bumps and bruises but I don't think I, I think outside of those that I just named nothing really significant as of right now that we know about all right our next question ECU buck 88 besides the victory what surprised you most about the game um the comeback I mean I I think the comeback was uh what was just exhilarating to see in person it was just you know you could feel the momentum build on the on the sidelines especially in those final few minutes but you could also feel the marshall crowd really trying to will them to stopping that momentum and to complete a comeback in that environment is not an easy thing to do so many teams get close and they don't get that onside kick or they get the onside kick and they get into the to the red zone And they settle for the field goal rather than punching it in. Or they score the go-ahead touchdown and they give up the go-ahead score on the other end. But to finish the comeback is what surprised me most. Because for me, that's learning how to win. And ECU was facing a winning program on his home field. And I just did not expect him to win the game. I mean, to be quite honest, you just kind of always felt like with what we've seen the past six years okay when is it going to when is something bad going to happen to flip it to where ecu can't win this game we saw it in the first half the freaking ricochet off the marshall intended receiver bounces 15 yards down the field guy catches the ball sprinting across the middle and goes 49 yards like if that if that doesn't signal to you it's not ecu's night then i don't know what what does but somehow the pirates found a way and again you know Tyler Sneed had a touchdown called back. They score again. Audio Matosho scores the touchdown, called back. Very next play, they answer with the reverse, uh, or with the trick play pass from Tyler Sneed to Holton Ayler. So ECU had an answer for every single time they face adversity in this game. And that, to me, was the biggest surprise, because losing programs have trouble getting over that hump. And to finish that on the road was uh, was was quite frankly amazing. You know, you can see stuff like that happen at home because you got the home crowd behind you, but to do it on the road in a hostile environment, I know Marshall didn't have, what, 25,000 people at the game, but it was loud. It was loud down there. They really care about beating ECU. This is a special game to them. And for the Pirates to pull this out, uh, it was huge. Uh, you know, as far as individual player surprise, Shane Calhoun, I mean, I talked all preseason about how good Shane Calhoun looked. And that's what we saw all preseason. He sprained his ankle, or sprained his knee, excuse me, the last few weeks of camp and just had not looked 100% the first few games. But this is the Shane Calhoun we saw in the preseason. They fed him the football. He made catch after catch. uh, Great hands for a tight end. You know, good blocker, has a chance to be an all-conference tight end. But to see him go from not having any catches the first two games to having – Eight for 100 yards in the first 100-yard receiving game for a tight end since Carl Lester Crumpler Jr. in 1992. How can that not be a surprise? So uh, that was the biggest individual surprise for me. But uh, the team finding a way to win in that environment and complete the comeback is uh, is 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 quite frankly a big surprise and, and kudos to the team for doing that. Uh, be easy. Are you still predicting a six-win regular season and seven with a bowl? Yeah. Why not? Hell, why not? Be easy. I'm going with six. I said they had to get one of these three. I had I had the South Carolina game as a win and the Marshall game as a loss, so I had them at two and two non-conference. Assuming they beat Charleston Southern, I had Tulane as a win, uh, along with South Florida, Temple, and Navy to give you six. And so, and if they play like they did last night offensively, who's to say they can't go on the road and upset? Houston or Memphis even UCF without Dylan Gabriel now that that suddenly becomes a much more interesting game uh here in a couple weeks so we'll keep an eye on that but I'm still going with six wins they needed to get one of these three and they got it and uh it was crazy but they got it probably should have beat South Carolina too but that's you know that is what it is at this point so they got one hopefully they get two beginning with Charleston Southern and then go for a winning streak of three heading into Tulane, uh, Berg Pirate. He's got a couple questions. Number one, do you think we see more tempo on offense the rest of the year? Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the offensive coordinator. I would think, I would think so. But it just seems like at times we see that up tempo ness, if that's a word. I don't know if that is or not. But let's roll with it. Uh, at times we see that up tempo, and at other times. You know, we just see them really slow it down and try to play ball control. Maybe a lot of that is dictated by the opponent. You know, Marshall was was really trying to go fast, and they were going fast. I mean, they were, they were getting up to the line and snapping it. They weren't messing around. So, I don't know if ECU wants to combat that with slower play rather than trying to match it and getting a true track meet. But, I mean, with the way we saw the fourth quarter transpire, it, I just don't know how you can watch that fourth quarter and say, the Pirates are not at their best offensively when they're when they're running tempo. I just think it's such a a better fit for Holt Nailers And for, you know, a guy like Keith Mitchell. And I think Rajay Harris is also more effective as a runner when they're in up tempo because that defensive line just does not fire off the ball as quickly. So again, I would not I don't think you're gonna see it the whole game because that's not this coaching staff style, but why not every few series? Let's not wait until ECU's down three scores to go up-tempo. So, I would hope so, but I honestly don't know. We'll see, Berg. Number two, any idea why our safeties are playing so poor, even with a ton of experience? Well, you know, you say a ton of experience. I mean, you know, obviously Warren Saba does have a lot of experience. Uh, Sean Dorso, both those guys are second-year starters. Um, And I wouldn't say they're necessarily playing poorly, you know they have had some coverage issues at times. The first few games, you know, you have DJ Ford who's graded out pretty good the first three weeks. He's in his first year with this defense. Um, you know, Jawan Powell continues to I don't want to say erratic play, but up and down at times. But he's really a first year full time guy. He's played somewhat in the past in a part time role this year. He's kind of in a starter type role, splitting time with Sabah. I think those four guys you know they rotate them a lot ECU does play some pretty complex coverages at times in terms of hey you have to make some reads on the fly and maybe that gets the safeties uh just a little too indecisive rather than just being allowed to go play I think you've seen some of that in terms of combination coverages at times where they get beat or get lost uh so you know that Still, overall, pretty young unit. I mean, Dorso is a sophomore in terms of eligibility. Powell is a freshman in terms of eligibility. Ford is your your senior, obviously, at, along with Saba. Uh, but I think we've seen Saba and Ford be pretty steady to this point, and then Dorso and Powell continuing to try and find that consistency. So uh, I think some of it is scheme. There is some pressure on those guys to really make decisions on the fly. Other is just they need more game experience especially the the young guys like Powell and uh, Dorso. You know, he's kind of – he played more boundary safety last year. He's played both boundary and free safety this year. So, you know, kind of some different responsibilities at times. And hopefully as the year goes along, he can continue to get more comfortable there. Also, with Tegan Wilk playing so well at Sam, if Gerard Stringer can get back, would really like to see more Tegan at boundary safety. And maybe even – you know, I don't know if they want to go – tegan and dj ford on the field at the same time because because uh, dj usually plays boundary but that that might be your best combination is gyra at sam tegan at boundary and dj ford at, at field safety but we'll see how it transpires and i think they're still trying to figure out what exactly the best combination there is on the back end kiss my cast do, you, do we have any chance versus csu um great question kiss my cast you know to be to be quite honest I went back to the game thread today. I always love going back to the game thread because, you know, obviously you guys are emotional (laughs) in the moment, as is everybody as we're watching the games. And uh, I think early fourth quarter, everybody was trying to figure out what would happen to the program if the Pirates went 0-4 with a loss. To Charleston Southern, man, how things have changed since then. Uh, Yeah, I think ECU's got a a pretty solid shot against the Buccaneers. I would venture to say they're going to be a 25-30 point favorite. Uh, Charleston Southern lost to Monmouth 41-10 to this past weekend. They did beat the Citadel 38-21 to in a big rivalry game in the opener, so I think they've got a pretty solid program for the FCS level. Monmouth is ranked 20th, and so they're a quality FCS program, and they really took it to Charleston Southern. I mean, to be honest, ECU should win this game by four touchdowns if they execute properly, if not more. I mean, this should not be a contest, and this week's going to be a totally different challenge. Uh, you know, me and Ronnie were talking about this on the way back. Credit to him for making the point. ECU is not in a in a situation very often recently where you go into game week coming off a big high, and now you're expected to take care of business against an inferior opponent. So this week will be a different challenge for the coaching staff. How do they approach it? We'll see. I'm sure, of course, they'll go with the narrative of uh, ECU can't afford to take anybody for lightly first of all they lost to James Madison in 2017 North Carolina a in 2018 and have had no greater than four wins in a season since 2015 so uh this is a big game because try losing it you lose this game and all of a sudden all the good vibes go to disastrous vibes so uh Pirates can't afford to let down here but I don't think they'll have one ECU Buck 88 how many fewer questions do you get for the podcast after a win uh, another great question. Certainly, far less certainly far less about the offense and the status of the offensive coordinator and the quarterback. Although we did have somebody ask about the quarterback, I think tongue in cheek earlier. But man, I, I tell you what, you guys, Pirate Nation, deserve this. The team deserved this. The players deserved it. The coaching staff deserved it. These wins are special. I mean, we take them for granted maybe when East Carolina has a successful program and they're, and they're rattling off seven-plus wins a year. So let's not forget moments like these or the down moments we've had for the past five, six years when ECU does turn around as a program. I mean, it's not easy to win football games at this level. And, um, uh, you know, it's it's refreshing to have a podcast where we have positive vibes. And yes, there are issues that need to be fixed on both sides of the ball and with special teams, et cetera. Uh, But it's just, it's awesome to talk about a big win. I mean, what more can you say? This is why we get into this business is, you know, I grew up a sports fan for games like that. You guys became pirate fans, you know, probably growing up watching exhilarating football like that. And To see ECU pull off a win like that is extremely gratifying to to witness, and uh, it's hard not to feel good and enjoy that one for a little bit. So, um, yeah, I'll take all the questions we can get after a win or a loss, but it's definitely a lot more fun to recap a win. There's no doubt about that. 1990 ECU fan with our next question. With the outstanding game Shane Calhoun had, do you think he'll get at least six or seven targets a game for the rest of the season? You know, I think a lot of that will depend on how the defense is playing him. Marshall really was bracketing Tyler Sneed, especially after C.J. Johnson got dinged up. You know, they were making it after the first drive, like a primary mission to take away Sneed. And that left Calhoun in one-on-one coverage. And now that Calhoun is, is back to, I guess, 100% or close to it, he's now got the ability to elevate, catch the football, cut, catch the football on the fly, You know, the first few games, he just did not look 100% comfortable cutting and and making plays on the move because of his knee. I think he's now back to what he can be. And, you know, maybe not all the way back. I think he had even more explosiveness in the preseason. So I, I think as he continues to get healthier, he'll get targeted more. Some of it will be dictated by what the defense is doing. But I do feel like he'll get at least a handful of targets most games. I mean, you just can't have an outing like that and then go back to throwing the football to him once a game he caught every catchable target his way outstanding hands contested catches used his big body um it was just great to see again first 100 yard receiving game for uh, for an ecu tight end in 29 years 29 years that's special guys so uh congrats to shane you know outstanding young man enjoyed covering him and getting to know him through his recruitment Uh, So, uh, very happy for Shane. Good kid. A few more questions here. Pirate 2021, do you consider it more of an awesome comeback win by ECU or a complete meltdown from Marshall? Uh, Great question here. You know, I said it earlier. No epic comeback can be achieved without a meltdown on the other side. That is the reality of the situation. ECU... Give them all the credit in the world they fought their asses off they deserved this they made the plays that were presented to them and they went out and took it now marshall gave it away in several aspects as well if let's say they make the let's say instead of going for a fourth down they kick the field goal and make it or they complete that pass on fourth down and all of a sudden it's 38 to 21 or instead of 38 21 it's 45 21 at that point, the game is fully over. So for them to not get the fourth down, then to miss a chip shot field goal, uh, to, to bust a few coverages at times or not play coverages as they should have. You know, the ECU didn't have anybody running wide up, and they made a lot of contested catches, but there were also a few issues in coverage from Marshall down the stretch. Um, you know, for them to throw a couple interceptions ill-advised, Grant Wells throwing in the double coverage inside the ECU 5 yard line. You know, they finished with three turnovers to ECU's one. They fumble the ball going into the end zone. Great play by Tegan Wilk again, but also the guy has to wrap the football up with two hands as he's about to score. So, I'm not going to say it was a complete meltdown, but it was close to it for Marshall to not get on the onside kick. You know, that that, that was some of the worst onside kick coverage I've seen in terms of Marshall. You know, you got two guys there who looked like they were scared to go get the football. And they let the East Carolina kicker, Owen Daffer, great play by Owen. Don't get me wrong. They let the East Carolina kicker beat them to the football. Uh, that is a lack of awareness and a lack of execution. So, again, it took a, a awesome, tremendous effort by ECU, all credit in the world. But it did take a meltdown from Marshall. So it's a little bit of both. It definitely is. But ECU, the, the comeback would not have been possible without some tremendous execution on their side. There's no doubt about it. So I think it is a little bit of both. All right, our final question here. Quartermaster asked, recruits reactions, um, what were they after the game? You know, I, I texted with a few of the recruits, but nothing major um, in terms of, you know, just their thoughts on the game. You know, a lot of them I doubt even probably could see it unless they got on Facebook to watch it. But, um saw so a lot of guys liking tweets on Twitter, retweeting all the videos and stuff, which is always good to see, you know, especially on Instagram guys like JD Lampley, um, and, uh, Jacob Sacra, Isaiah Brown, Murray, Jamarion Franklin, CJ Mims, Brock Spaulding, Ethan Langley. All these guys were sharing stuff on social media, uh, kind of showing off the win for, for their followers. Um, tweeting about the win, liking tweets, all that stuff, which is always good. You always want to have a recruiting class that is interactive on social media in regards to the current team. So, you know, I haven't had a lot of direct conversations in depth with a lot of the guys, but I know that they're happy. You know, we interviewed pretty much all the guys who came in on visits about their official visit experience or their game day visit experience from the South Carolina game and got a ton of good feedback. You know, Caleb Webb made the comment to me that he's still 100% locked in with ECU despite several SEC offers and whatnot. And I think one of the keys to keeping Caleb and this recruiting class intact is continuing to show improvement on the field. And by the time Caleb gets here, he's got a chance to really join a program that's on the rise. And, and Caleb's, ha- he's, listen, he's having some special offers after some special performances. He told me that he's left his recruitment for now up to his dad. He still might take other visits. But after his uh, experience at the South Carolina game, he really seems sold on becoming a Pirate and really immersing himself in this culture. So I think if ECU continues to win football games, it just only makes the commitment stronger, the class stronger, and really kind of the future outlook. When you combine recruiting and the direction of a still young program in terms of the roster, uh, very promising. So uh, recruit reactions, you know, again, I don't have a ton of direct quotes or anything like that. But I can I can tell you it's definitely uh, very positive after a game like that. I'm sure there was a lot of text between the coaching staff and the recruits. There usually is after a big win and they'll send out graphics and all that sort of stuff um, after games like that. So big win for ECU. They needed it. Pirate Nation needed it. The school needed it. It was a special special weekend in Huntington. I'm still tired from uh, from the, the ride back. I mean, we drove up there seven hours on Saturday morning, drove back today. Uh, didn't get a ton of sleep, but hey, it was worth it. Big win for East Carolina. They improved to one and two on the season. Lots of big highlights. Again, we were having a ton of ton of uh, comments, ton of fun threads on Hoist the Colors. We'll continue to cover it all week long. Then we'll dive into the Charleston Southern game, what to expect there, what do we want to see as ECU takes on the Buccaneers, um, what improvements do we want to see, what potential younger guys do we want to see ideally play in this game. We'll get into all that throughout the week leading up to kickoff. 6 p.m., it'll be a nice home evening kickoff. And paint it gold, I believe. So wear your gold to the game. Hopefully we'll see the gold pants for ECU make its 2021 debut. I'm a big fan of the gold pants. And uh, especially with the purple tops with the new gold lettering and gold numbers. So hoping to see that this weekend against Charleston Southern. All right, that'll do it for this podcast. Appreciate you guys again for always supporting Hoist the Colors, supporting what we do. uh, Means the world. Thanks for all the questions on the Hoist the Colors message board for following along in the game thread, for commenting throughout the week, all that sort of stuff, for, for commenting, going back and forth on Twitter. You guys know it wouldn't be possible without you, so it uh, means the world to us here on HTC. All right. I am Steven Igo. We are out. We'll be back with you later this week. You've been listening to the Hoisty Colors Podcast.